0: Good morning, Church. We're reading from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody.
1: Thank you, Judy. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, please prepare our hearts and minds, and we pray that by your spirit you would speak to each one of us through this wonderful and practical passage of the Bible. Lord, please help me to proclaim faithfully your word this day we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well our passage this morning sees the Apostle Paul angle in on a topic that ought to be of immediate and urgent concern to each one of us. That is how to live a God-pleasing life without being dragged into the sewer of our morally bankrupt world. It's not that human beings haven't always found ways to gratify our lusts in one way or another since the fall. It's just that lately this wicked behaviour is being institutionalised and normalised in our society. I mean, seriously, I don't know how much you've been looking at the news lately, but there are some things that are happening in the world that are truly shocking. Uh, Things that, for example, I've been trying to do in schools in England and Germany at the moment are really too disgraceful to mention, I'm pleased to say there's been some pushback over there lately. Um, Suffice to say it has boys and girls naked together uh, in the room. It's child abuse. And I'm sorry to say it, but we're not too far behind in Australia either. Here there have been cases of activist teachers grooming our kids by showing them books that are too graphic to show on Australian TV. And they're showing them to kids, I understand, as young as eight years old. How can this be? It's a political campaign, isn't it, to corrupt our children's hearts and minds with filth that would make even the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah blush. I knew from the start, back in 2017, that the same-sex marriage plebiscite was a bad idea. Uh, Back then we organised something called a More Than Marriage Seminar to address the issues as we saw them. We worked with other churches to do that. This included the fact that changing the marriage laws would only encourage even more radical moves to reshape our society along Marxist and atheist lines. And I think that's exactly what has happened and is happening. But even for me, the speed at which these changes have occurred has been astonishing... For example, who could have imagined even just six or seven years ago that our politicians would have so quickly taken on this transgender ideology? I remember at the time, looking at it, that uh, in the census at the time, I think there was only less than 1,400 people in Australia who registered as transgender um, people. And that's not to deny that there is uh, genuine challenges that some people face in their own identity. But now we have even local sporting associations forcing girls to accept fully functioning boys in their change rooms and toilets. Uh, Even uh, one of our former Prime Ministers, uh, Julia Gillard, has trouble explaining what a woman is. So we see our society shifting rapidly and some of the things that are changing are really a recipe for disaster. Even uh, this week I I cottoned on, I I heard talk of 14-year-old children considered They're looking at considering 14-year-old children to be mature minors, Uh, this new idea of mature minors, to give them uh, the ability to consent to euthanasia or even to sex with adults. I mean, this has to stop, doesn't it? This is the way things are pushing in our world. So the question is, how can I live a God-pleasing life without being dragged into the sewer of our morally bankrupt world? Well, the Apostle Paul offers us his advice in three specific areas of concern today. Sexual purity, brotherly love, and quiet living. And the advice he gives here is excellent. It's clear, principled, and achievable. This is Christian purity, and it's not rocket science. So that's why I've called my first point for today, Living to please God is not rocket science. This is how Christian love and the Christian life is meant to work. So I'm looking at verses 1 and 2 where Paul introduces this whole subject of Christian living. Verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Living to please God is not rocket science. I might say it's good for us when we do it. First of all, I want you to notice here that the Thessalonians have already been instructed by Paul in these matters. So for them, this is a revision lesson. And I hope for us, it's a revision lesson too. We should be talking about things today that we already know. Paul says in verse 1, We instructed you, past tense, presumably when Paul was with them in Thessalonica. And again in verse 2, he says, "'You know what instructions we gave you.'" So you can feel the tension there. There must have been the reality just as we face that the world is doing things and behaving in ways that is contrary to that which is pleasing to God. And the Thessalonians have received this instruction. They know what it is. And Paul says, "'You know what instructions we gave you "'by the authority of the Lord Jesus.'" So he's using his apostolic authority here in speaking to them. Secondly, I love how Paul encourages his friends without excusing them. Paul does not excuse sin, but he does empathise with the sinner in our struggles against sin. If I can paraphrase, he basically says, look, this is what God requires of us, that we live holy and honourable lives that we control our appetites so that we don't sin against one another, cause abuse against one another, and and sin against God in the process. I know it's hard, but you need to do it anyway. Yes, the world wants to drag us down, and yes, the filth is everywhere around us, but sanctification is possible and necessary in the Christian life. With God's help, bad habits and sinful behaviour can be overcome and replaced by a greater love For pleasing the Lord. I know it's hard, but in Christ you really can eat the pure food of God's Word and enjoy the fresh, clean air of the Spirit's grace. It is possible to pursue holiness, and here's how you can do it. Number one, by acknowledging the fact that it is God's will for you to be holy. Perhaps today you are struggling with a particular sin, a besetting sin, something that you know is not pleasing to God. Number one, acknowledge the fact that it is God's will for you to be holy, that you should strive to maintain your sexual purity now and always, personally, practically and permanently. Yes, it is God's will for you and for me. So my second point for today, taking up Paul's, the first of his three main responses to Christian living, this one is about sexual purity. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. In other words, stay away from sexual sin. Avoid it like the plague. Apply God's word to your heart and mind like virus protection software on your PC. Shield your eyes, guard your mind in Christ Jesus and never give up, even if at times you fail. This is God's will for you specifically as an outworking of your faith, my faith in Jesus Christ. You may struggle at times and in fact I'm sure you will. But This is what we are called to do in an ongoing response to sin. Keep up the good fight, don't give up. Keep on aiming for holiness until Christ returns. That's how sanctification works. There's no retirement plan here. It's a struggle until we are in the presence of Christ. You just need to keep on walking one step at a time. So first of all, acknowledge the fact that it is God's will for you to be holy. That there is such a thing as experience victory over sin, putting it to death, Seeing God work that change in you. Secondly then, pray. And then thirdly, act accordingly. Let's look at prayer. For example, listen to Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. This is from chapter 5, verse 23. Paul says, this is a lovely prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I want to read that again, because it's just such a good prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is a prayer for sanctification, for that work of the Spirit within us. It's exactly the kind of prayer we need to pray for ourselves and for one another. Lord, by your grace, please supply us, supply me with the spiritual fuel we need to be holy as you are holy. We can't do this by ourselves. The world, with all its challenges, keeps crowding in upon us. Nevertheless, sanctify us inside and out that we might be blameless in your sight until the coming of our Lord Jesus. Lord, hear our prayers and sanctify us through and through, just as you have promised to do. Number one, acknowledge the fact that it is God's will for you to be holy. Number two... Pray for the Spirit's work of sanctification in your life. And number three, act accordingly. Act accordingly. So in verse 4, that each of you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his or her own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Well, these are very practical responses, aren't they? I mean, Paul knows only too well what sexual immorality can degenerate into. He's not naive. He's just uncompromisingly honest. The erotic, the exotic, the sensuous and the seductive are continually being paraded before us and, might I say, shoved down our throats uh, at every opportunity these days. As Christians, I fear we all too easily succumb to the pressures of our society to bow down and worship these gods. We're being conditioned from the youngest of ages these days. I think almost everybody has witnessed and seen pornography and the age at which people first see pornography now is just getting younger and younger and younger. It's everywhere. We flirt with the enemy And we foolishly run with the crowd rather than saying no as we ought to do even at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. I've got some pictures here. This is not Sydney Missionary and Bible College, but let me tell you, I can remember once being intrigued by the annual student photographs that used to hang on the back wall in the cafeteria. And the photos go through the decades of the graduation classes from the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, you know, all the graduation photos are there. And and through the 30s, 40s and 60s, the hemlines are down near the ankles. Until suddenly in 1960s, whoosh, up they go, up the knee and then above the knee. Even in a Bible college, it's kind of clear that clothing standards are set by the world. We dress according to the way people dress around us. And it was very evident, you can watch the hemlines across the years, uh, even in Sydney Missionary in Bible College. I don't know if those photos are still there. I didn't take them, I grabbed some, as you can see, that represented what I observed that day. But really, who cares about hemlines? My goodness. Today we're dealing with a full-blown neo-pagan spirituality that's doing untold damage to people's lives. Pornography, premarital sex, abortion, transgender abuse, broken families, and soon, as I've you know, alluded to already, soon I think pedophilia is going to be normalised or attempt to be normalised. As young people now begin to be categorised as mature minors, and are desensitised and then become easy pickings for so-called, this is the new term, minor attracted persons or MAPS as the new acronym has it. You're not a pedophile anymore, you're a MAP and you just have a particular sexual preference for young kids and of course you can see where that goes. This is the sad reality that we're dealing with in our world today. We are in the grip of a neo-pagan revival and you can be sure if it's in the world then it's coming into the church as well. We may not want to talk about it but in our private lives we are also being conditioned and desensitised. Self-control is a basic mark of Christian maturity. Once you know who you are as God's child you will learn to behave yourself Accordingly, not like an animal. And by the way, self control isn't just about sex, it covers every area of life. For example, managing your anger is an aspect of self control. Moderation in alcohol is an aspect of self control. Integrity in business, controlling your tongue, avoiding gossip, using your money wisely, choosing the food you eat. Self control affects every area of life. So we don't have to become obsessed just by one thing. But in the area of sexuality, which is the topic Paul and God's word is addressing here, it seems self-control particularly means not behaving in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Passionate lust is selfish, uncontrolled, opportunistic and highly addictive. It's often degrading and prone to unnecessary risk-taking behaviour. And once you're caught in it, it's very hard to break free. This is one of those areas in life where God's help is especially needed. And the good news is that he's there, he's ready to help the moment you turn to him in repentance. But God will not be mocked. Paul strictly warns us in verses 6 to 8, the Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The principle of self-control is of great importance in the process of sanctification. So don't be afraid to seek help or counsel from others if you need it, especially from trusted friends or family who share your hope in the Lord Jesus. Speak to me as your pastor, or Derek, or Yin, or our wives. We're here for you if you need us. One more thing about sex and self-control before I move on. When God calls us to live holy and honourable lives, it seems to me he does not require the complete suppression of our human selves. A desire for companionship is good, and yet it may also be the cross that you have to bear. It is hard because God created us in his image, but he created us as sexual beings, as male and female. But we have to be honest that in this fallen world, there will be cases of singleness, widowhood, same-sex attraction, loveless marriages, medical problems that can lead to feelings of deep frustration and perhaps anger with God. If that's you this morning, then you have my complete sympathy and my prayers. More than that, I want to commend you for your faith and courage in persevering and I urge you to keep on saying yes to godliness and no to lust. Keep fighting and may God supply all your needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. Self-control does not mean self-suppression but rather a willingness to trust God in the midst of private pain. Those who do make every effort to live holy and blameless lives are demonstrating an intention to please God and not man, and this is good. Whereas those who reject God's command in this critical area of purity are demonstrating their desire to please man and not God, and God knows the secrets of all our hearts, and He will judge each one accordingly. Well, that's enough for the moment. The topic of Christian love and sexual purity. If you have any personal issues or questions, again, if you'd like to discuss them, please come and talk to me afterwards. But I want to move on now to Paul's next recommendation on how to live a God-pleasing life without being dragged into the sewer of our morally bankrupt world. This is a very straight, one straightforward one. Love one another as Christ first loved you. Paul's recommendation here is that you show brotherly love toward one another And that you do so more and more. Verse 9. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. So this is something that the Thessalonians have already been doing and praise God for that. These young Christians, they've grown up to become big-hearted and bold believers because they've taken God's word seriously and they've begun to put it into practice. And that's all that God asks each one of us to do as well, to take his word and to begin to put it into practice. They understood what it meant, what it means to be loved by God and naturally they wanted to care for others in the same way, treating one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In so doing, they became some of the best neighbours you could ever possibly hope to have. And this is what ought to happen when the gospel enters your heart. It begins to change you from the inside out, change your motivations, change your goals for life. When Christ is your king, you will start to treat people differently because God's love is eternally other person centred. God's love is eternally other person centered the father loves the son and the spirit eternally the son loves the father in the power of the spirit and the spirit is the love of the father and the son eternally proceeding between them both god in his very nature as god is eternally other person centered love so within the godhead within the trinity god's love is continually being given away God doesn't love himself selfishly. You know, love me, here I am, everybody has to love me. That's not the way God loves. But God says, I love you. I've always loved you with an everlasting love. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself as an atonement for sin. God's love is continually being given away. And that's what makes God's love, unlike the love of any other religion in the world, God's love is an eternally self-giving love. God keeps on giving himself away. And having experienced this life-giving love, the Thessalonians can't help but to love others in that same way, self-sacrificially, extravagantly, joyfully, freely. For us today, that's the point I want to emphasize. When you're loving others in the love of God, the world can't get at you. The love of the world is a taking love, to take that which is around you. But the love of God is a giving love, to offer ourselves in the service and care of others. The world is powerless to corrupt you when you are living in the love of Christ. Because why would you want to exchange that love for this lousy counterfeit that the world has on offer? If you want to live a God-pleasing life, then practice the generosity and kindness that is the very nature of true Christian love. You won't regret it. God's love is priceless and free and it's transformational in the way it works. You won't be the same again. So let's put God's love into practice today and let's do so more and more in the days ahead through hospitality, generosity, kindness and care. And yes, all of these, but more than that, through discipleship and prayer and evangelism, as the Lord is laying it on our hearts to do. This is the nature of true Christian love. It reaches out and gives itself away. I know this is something you're already doing, but I urge you, I call upon myself as well, that we do this together as brothers and sisters, to do it more and more in the days ahead. It's not only pleasing to God, it's also good for your soul and a real blessing for others as well. Love one another as Christ first loved you. Now finally, we come to Paul's third recommendation on quiet living, which I've entitled Living the Responsible Life. So verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody well, this is another great strategy, out of three great strategies, another great strategy for guarding your soul against the attractions of our morally bankrupt world. It, the recommendation here is don't be idle and don't be lazy. For you see, idleness is the friend of many evils. In the book of Proverbs, there are quite a few good ones. Here's a couple. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? (laughs) Too lazy to bring the food back to his own mouth. I mean, Here we have a a person rolling over in his bed back and forward, back and forward like a door on a hinge. In his heart he's restless and unfulfilled, but he'd rather just stay in bed rather than get out and do something useful with his life. All he thinks of is the weekend. How to get out of doing honest day's work. Stretched out on his bed of sloth, he dreams of an easier life and wonders why it can't be his. By contrast, you and I are called to live a responsible life in order to win the respect of outsiders. You're called to live so that even your non Christian neighbours can see that you are a person of integrity. You work hard, you treat others in a way that's respectful. You're trustworthy in your dealings. Your word is reliable. Even non-Christians can see whether you're serious about your faith or not by the way you run your business, by the way you live your life. So be careful how you live. Be careful. Keep yourself busy in the Lord. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Do a fair day's work if you're able to or if you can't, then go and volunteer if you've got no other way of serving others. Just don't sit at home alone and do nothing because that's the worst thing for your soul. It's depressing. It's a waste of life. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil and you do not know what tomorrow may bring. In these verses... We also have the beginnings of the so-called Protestant work ethic. It began as a high principle for godly living based on an attitude of service to God, duty to community and personal responsibility for your own life. As Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you. I think today we've fallen far from that ideal without God's word to control us and without the love of Christ to regulate us, we've ended up with the worst of both worlds. On the one hand, we have the exploitation of workers, just working longer and longer and longer hours and seven days a week and all that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, you've got the soul-destroying impact of socialist handouts that leave people doing nothing. Sit-down money. Perhaps today is an opportunity for you to reassess for yourself What is a reasonable and God-honoring proportion of your time and talent for your working life? On the one hand, are you being exploited by your employer? Are you working 60, 70, 80 hours a week? Are you still at the office at 7pm? Is your job leaving you no time for God, no time for rest, no time for family? That's not right. On the other hand, are you becoming lazy or dependent upon government handouts for no good reason when you really could work but you choose not to? Do you perhaps have an attitude of entitlement? Paul says, live your life to win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Well, these are matters to bring before the Lord personally and perhaps make some changes in your life if you need to. So I come back to the question, how can I live a God-pleasing life without being dragged into the sewer of our morally bankrupt world? What conduct, behaviour or attitudes are consistent with God's purpose for your life today? I think the advice of God's word today has been clear, principled and achievable. I want to suggest that you put God first in your life, that you don't flirt with the enemy but Rather, make Christian purity your daily priority. Avoid sexual immorality like the plague. Pursue brotherly love and kindness toward others while making it your ambition to lead a quiet, productive life. If you do so, you will please God and bring honour to Christ and blessing to yourself. Perhaps there are some areas today where you need to make some timely changes. It could be in the area of sexual purity. It could be in the area of brotherly love and kindness toward others. Or it could be in the area of responsible living. Having heard God's word today and applied it to your life, I'm sure you'll know what God wants you to do. And in those areas where you're already doing well, I urge you to follow Paul's other piece of advice, which is that you maintain your zeal for the Lord and do so more and more. Having begun a good work, continue in it. Christian love and the Christian life is not rocket science. Much of it is common sense. But in particular, self-control is a mark of Christian maturity. When you know who you are in Christ, you will learn to behave yourself accordingly, not like an animal. And when you're loving others in the love of God, then the world can't get at you. So may God bless you and keep you in his love today. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it.
0: Amen.